0: Hey friends, this is Ashley coming to you before this episode starts. I just wanted to let you all know that I have a newsletter. It's also called Boss Barista and you can find all of our episodes along with full transcripts and articles about each episode at the newsletter. So go to bossbarista.substack.com and all of this stuff will just end up in your email. It's kind of like magic. So again, bossbarista.substack.com to find all of these episodes along with additional content. Thanks for listening and on to the show. Hey friends, welcome to Boss Barista, the podcast about workplace equity and employee empowerment in coffee and beyond. I'm Ashley Rodriguez. My guest today is LaCrista McArthur. A coffee consultant based in Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, at least for now. LaCrista has traveled the world learning about coffee and offering her expertise to folks who are opening shops. But her knowledge and insights extend beyond menu planning and latte art, although she can pour latte art with both her hands because she's ambidextrous. She helps people build inclusive spaces. Is a bar that's three feet high off the ground actually usable for all people, for example? She also advises on hiring and showing care for staff. In this episode, we make some bold claims. We decide on the best coffee cities in the world, talk a lot about robot baristas, and advise people that maybe, just maybe, you don't need to own a coffee shop. This is a chewy episode. We switch topics often and explore a wide variety of ideas. But with over 10 years of experience in the industry, starting when she was in high school and she did her entire final project on specialty coffee, Lacrista has a lot to share. Here she is. I was wondering if you could start by introducing yourself.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) My name is Lacrista MacArthur. I am a coffee professional of about, I think I'm coming up on 10 years now. I'm in North Carolina, specifically Charlotte, and it's great here. I am leaving. I got to get out of here, but the coffee community here is great. It's fantastic. Where are you going? I don't know yet. I miss England. Just only a lot. Just only a lot. (laughs) Um, I think my time there was fantastic, and I just recently visited Chicago. I was just gonna like up and move, pack a suitcase, and go, and I still have a mindset to do it, but I just have to wait. I think Chicago or England.
0: I feel like we could do a whole podcast debating the different coffee scenes that you should explore. Like, where should you go? And you've traveled a lot. That's actually one of the questions I had written down for this interview. (laughs) But let's start all the way at the beginning, where we start all of our coffee journeys, and I start every episode of the podcast. Did you grow up with coffee in your life?
1: I did not. I actually was not allowed to drink coffee. My mom was a stickler for that is something you drink when you grow up. And it's like this like reward. Like Now I'm an adult. Maybe I need it now. She was on the something, but I couldn't have it. So I'm sure there was some element of like, I want that because I can't have it. And then I needed a job and kind of fell into it that way. I did my whole senior project on it, and if you're not familiar with that, is like a high school capstone project. Like you have to pass this thing to graduate, and that is a requirement here in North Carolina. Like you can't not pass it.
0: You, when you were in high school, you had to do a capstone project, and you were like, "I'm gonna do mine about coffee."
1: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I got into art school. I got into some really good ones here in the U.S., but I've always had this kind of like, what happens if I get into a school over there? Let me just apply. And it was like, you've got accepted. And this is how much money we'll give you and whatever. We think your portfolio is fantastic. Uh, All the things. I was in class in tears. But then I also didn't quite realize at the time, money's a real thing. And I was like, well, how am I going to pay for this? After a week or two of just falling down the rabbit hole of trying to develop a budget but I'm also only 17 and I don't know what I'm trying to calculate I was like I'm gonna have to work when I get there and a lot of my friend group here a lot of them worked in coffee they were like Starbucks breezes or like your local town in the morning before school you go there and get your little cup you come to class and you think you're cool and whatnot (laughs) but like I, I would go to a shop and I would feel very included I didn't feel like the odd kid out like I grew up already being like one of only but so many black kids in a school system, or one of two black kids in all of my AP courses. So like it was a very familiar kind of thing, but in this space, I it was still present, but it was a little different at the time. It was I, f- I felt like I found a place where I could be myself fully. I was an odd little black girl in class, so in this space it was kind of embraced. So I was like, well, coffee seems cool. Let me figure out how I can be a part of that. So. I decided to do my senior project on specialty coffee, did a lot of research. We had to write this proposal and you had to prove that you knew enough to take on this topic. It got approved. I had to then find a mentor. and I reached out to a lot of shops. The closest specialty shop that was near me was Summit Coffee. And I will shout them out forever because they took on an uneducated in terms of coffee, <laughs> influenceable teenager and did such a fantastic job. Of teaching me the ropes. But I got all this wealth of knowledge at 17. I did not end up going to France, which is the sad part of the story, but I did gain this wealth of knowledge and it sparked this light and this fire of intrigue with this industry. And from there, I still did art school, but in different cities and different programs here and there. But there was always access to employment, which was kind of securing.
0: That's a good point. I don't think people talk about that enough that like being a coffee person means doors open for you globally in this really cool and fun way.
1: Oh, for sure. I think when I talk about and I know you said you had a question about it later about my time overseas or just travel. I didn't move to England for coffee things. It just worked out in a way where I had experience when I was there. It set me up for success. I moved there because of family, my, my family situation. I actually moved there with my grandmother. And it was kind of this beautiful story of, hey, you want to come with me? I got a job. <laughs> and I was like, sure, I guess. Who says no to a free, complete relocation to the UK? Um, no one says no to that. <laughs> exactly. And it was this beautiful experience. And then I was like, I got to get out the house. I need a job. And... The closest thing that was to the house was I could walk there and it was this very beautiful movie-esque scenic countryside walk and it was fantastic to this cute high street cafe. She was a florist and she had a cafe in another town nearby but wanted to start one here. But she wanted a really good coffee program. She wanted some really good coffee skills going into it. So I did that for a little while and then I figured out how I could get to Cambridge. (laughs) because we were really out in the country there were horses that would go by my house in the mornings it was country it was a very different country than what I'm used to here in North Carolina
0: so you like traveled before COVID and then COVID happened while you were in England
1: yeah I think I was doing the coffee shop stuff in January with them specifically that was I met them in January we got everything rolling come end of January and then it was my birthday that COVID hit they were like, yeah, go home and don't come back out.
0: I want to I get back a little bit. You did your senior project on Summit Coffee. Then you went to art school, and you were making coffee during that time?
1: Yeah, so for a handful of years before I moved to England, I was just, yeah, I was working barista jobs. I did a stint at Starbucks, which was an interesting time to go from learning specialty and then working at Starbucks. That was a a hard one for me. I worked in a handful of different types of shops. I also worked like three jobs at a time that whole time. So I wasn't just barista; I was also a stylist, or um, contract photographer, or <laughs> nanny, like a a whole bunch of things. But it was always something coffee related in the mix. So a lot of different types of shops, and in the mix, I realized the one way that I can make money in this is to get better. I didn't feel like I had learned everything for my senior project. So I was like, well, one day I would like to own my own shop. And one day I would like to do X, Y, and Z. So how do I, from where I'm at now, how do I get there? And the only thing that kind of like clicked for me is, well, I need to be strategic about where I work. At least while I can, where I can be strategic. Sometimes I just needed a job because broke college kid. But When I had the ability to choose, I would go here because when I went there, they handled volume really well. Or this shop does really good signature drinks or this shop has multiple locations and each one has a very unique and exciting aesthetic. So I just handpicked along the way where I could and learned as much as I could from different people.
0: I love that. I love that you were able to identify places where you were like, this is the thing I want to learn from these people that they're executing really well or executing on a high level. Being able to identify that seems pretty high level. So, no. but did you always have in mind that you were like working towards a goal? Like you were working towards one day opening your own shop or one day being like a coffee educator? Did you have it seems like you did have a goal in mind as you were doing all of this?
1: I mean, I do. <laughs> I I get really intrigued with certain things and I will learn as much as I can and when I feel like I've learned enough to be efficient in it or at least some level of good I'm like okay cool let me apply that to the skill set that I already have and now how can I add something to, to now advance that skill that I just picked on picked up so I've been like that my whole life it's like an, it's this internal competition with myself I think I was like, I was reading and writing way too early and I was in a learning center and I saw a kid, I was like four or five, I saw a kid writing with their left hand and I was like, oh, I got to do that. So I went home (laughs) and I remembered I had like writing books where you trace the letters. Mm -hmm. So I did it with my left hand and taught myself how to use my left hand.
0: Are you ambidextrous now?
1: I am. That's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I picked up writing with my left hand and then when it came to art I was like well I need to make sure I can use both hands e- efficiently here in this space too and then when I got into coffee and realized I was good at lots art I was like can I do this with both hands so I just would test myself I realized I'm kind of that way in terms of like learning even now in coffee and just like trying to impart that understanding of like You can learn certain things in different spaces and how to merge all this knowledge because I feel like that can be a bit of a difficulty for a lot of people sometimes in terms of, well, I'm good at beverage development, but I don't really know how to apply it with managerial skills or I'm good at social media, but I don't really understand how to make that shift into full-on marketing.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's really hard for people to... Number one, identify what they're good at. But secondly, like you were saying, to know what that means. How do I use it? How do I harness it? Especially in coffee where like, I think this is a good time to switch to this idea. But I think in coffee, we don't do a lot to develop people to have careers. We often assume that barista work is temporary, which is like a the wrong logical fallacy to put down. If we assume that these jobs are temporary, then we treat them as temporary, but we don't have to do that.
1: And I think you, you made a good point where leadership doesn't feel it's their responsibility, but I think that plays into ownership and who developed the business plan and the business model in terms of how are you providing career growth and Professional development. I don't think that at this point in coffee, if you are starting a coffee shop, if your business plan does not include professional development, don't open yet.
0: Yes. You made a reel about that. And I was like, yes, that is amazing because I think (laughs) a lot of people open up coffee shops because they think they're going to be fun Mm -hmm. to own. I don't know. I've had a lot of people come up to me and be like, I think I want to open a coffee shop because they think it's cool. And I'm like, well, like, actually think about what you're doing but i think you're right if you're not if you're opening a coffee shop and you have no plan for what employee development's going to look like even if you know what your limit is even if you're like this is the amount and i that i can give employees based on like the size and money and blah 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 but being really conscious of that and like you were saying if you have no plan for what the future looks like for people then don't open
1: right i mean it's a society issue we don't feel responsible for other people anymore If you create or foster a space, you are now inherently responsible for people's, not for their entire lives, but you are responsible for this portion of their career. I think there's also this disconnect in terms of like, okay, you start a shop and you want loyal employees, but are you giving them something to be loyal to? Are you being loyal to them? People are always so hell-bent on employee loyalty but it's not that's not what the term should even be it should be is this an a loyal establishment what are you doing to make sure that your staff is taken care of and business plan doesn't include professional development if it doesn't include some kind and it could just be a 20 dollar stipend to go see a movie for some self care if you can't even think about those things if there's no heart to do that, or even just a mind, just an inkling to do some kind of let me take care of the people that have trusted me with their employment, because I don't think people realize how big of a deal that is. I think it's taking for granted. I think we spent so much time ingraining into people that a job is a luxury. You're lucky to have a job, so you'll take what I give you, whereas that is so far from the truth. And I don't think that employees, I think baristas and coffee people don't realize, I think you you hit it on the head earlier, they don't realize the power that they have in the situation. So making sure that on both sides, are we as the employees asking the right questions? Are we setting ourselves up for success? And on the managerial side and ownership side, what are you doing to make sure that those answers are there? when those questions are asked? What policies are in place to make sure that these people are taken care of?
0: I love that you talked about loyalty, because I think you're absolutely right. Loyalty is often seen as this one-way street that an employee gives to an employer. But very rarely do we see an employer give that sense of loyalty to employees. And I think that's baked into kind of an American capitalist system, even thinking about the way that we quit jobs for example like we expect employees to give us 2 weeks notice but if you get fired there's no expectation that an employer gives you 2 weeks or tells you like hey i'm going to fire you like here's a couple of weeks so you can find another job that's not how that expectation works and we put so mu- yeah we put so much importance on the idea of loyalty but we don't often look at that as a res- like a res- reciprocal that's mm-hmm. that. Is that the word? Did I say it right? I don't know. But okay. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying? But like, it's not a two way street. And I think that especially and, and one of the reasons I think we're talking about this at all in coffee is that coffee shops are like human centered places. They're mm-hmm. reflections of the community. That's why this is so important. I think specifically in the coffee industry, because I think it's easy for us to talk about these topics and for people to be like, why does this matter in coffee? Mm-hmm. And it's because this is like a human centered profession. It's one that involves community buy-in. People come to coffee shops to see their community members. And if we can't do it in other industries, like if we can't do it in coffee, then I, I tend to think it's not possible in other industries. So that's why I think it's so important to talk about it in coffee.
1: It is so easy to take care of the person standing next to you. You know, I mean, even if when it comes down to like, just The slightest of ways is like when you are a breeson, and you're on the floor it's a communal space and we all have to do well together and make sure that we are setting each other up for success and like how can I help you whoever's leading the floor you know they're making sure each portion of the floor is being taken care of are we switching people out are we doing x y and z there is a level of understanding for the humans that are present on the floor at that level so why is it not higher up.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's super easy to show care. I think you're absolutely right, especially because you're confronted with people's humanity constantly. And I also think, too, one thing I like that you said was if you don't incorporate a budget for professional development or if you don't think about people's futures, then don't open a coffee shop. And I think that's actually something we need to tell people more. You don't have to open a coffee shop. You don't have to. You absolutely don't have to. And I think that there's this idea, again, going back to this idea of American capitalism, there's this idea of entitlement when it comes to small business ownership that you deserve to own a small business, but you absolutely don't. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. You don't have to. If you don't see your responsibility as an employer to people, like real actual people.
1: That part. I feel like as a kid, you get all these really cutesy stories of like, you know, if you see the kid fall and help them or there should just be a level of care that anyone has for just fellow humanity. But if you decide to take on the responsibility of taking on this space and then inviting people into it, the only option should be take care of it. Right. Again, and it's been just a manipulation of control and understanding who has the authority to dictate what this what the level of treatment is, and I think just it's American consumerism and the corporate mindset of like, well, you have to work your way up a ladder, but in order to work your way up, you have to do X, Y, and Z, and work these insane hours and do ins, which are like when you close and you open with like from back to back and like working these insane shifts. And like, what people don't quite realize is like it's not all fun and games being a barista; like it is a lot of manual labor it's a lot of mental labor these people are if they are doing that and some just a few people or one person gets to benefit from that it's one thing i will say i applaud baristas who start their own shops because i think there's a level of understanding or like if you aren't a barista and you start a shop but you work in the shop that should be requirement
0: (laughs) i agree i agree i actually had somebody Come up to me once and they were like, Oh, I'm thinking of opening my own coffee shop. And I was like, Cool. This is what I think. I think you should work in a coffee shop first. Have you ever worked in one? And he was like, No. And I was like, Oh, you should probably work in one for like six months just so you understand like the ins and outs and you know like what the business needs. And he's like, Oh, I'll just hire someone. And I was like, What if that person calls in sick? Right. What if you need to fix something or just the Fact that you should have like basic empathy for your baristas by understanding what they go through daily, i don't know I, I have you I'm sure you've worked at coffee shops where like the owner never was there
1: Oh for sure I've worked in a handful of those, and it was a very interesting dynamic between the owners and the floor staff. There would be instances where this shot of espresso doesn't taste right well can you don't degrade or belittle the staff if you can't do it, if you can't fix what you think is wrong kind of situation. So whenever I get asked to consult a place, especially if it's a new shop that's building from the ground up, I always, you're going to work the floor. That's not a question.
0: Do you find that people put up resistance to that?
1: I haven't experienced that. I think I've chat it with people who have an idea or a hope to open a shop and they just can't seem to wrap their mind around the concept. Because again, with American consumerism, if you are an entrepreneur or if you are a small business owner and you have the luxury of just being able to open it and hire people, that's the goal. You know, no one preaches about, you know, you should want to work in it. You should want to understand what it means to work for this establishment that you're creating. What
0: are some of the other things you talk to people about when you're consulting?
1: A lot of understanding and being respectful of this of the culture you've implanted yourself into. So not only, I think we spend so much time talking about oh, gentrification is a bad thing, but then we still open shops in gentrified areas or we're part of the gentrification process. As soon as you put a specialty shop in a space, I don't think people quite understand like You have now amplified gentrification to a certain degree because you have now added the thing, this hub, where people who are not from this environment or this space or this neighborhood, would now they can come to. So understanding how to reflect where you are planting your business um, and how to reflect the community that you have now taken from. That's a huge part of what I do. A lot of helping people understand that you can't just solely hire braces. So helping people understand what the capacity is to make sure that there is some kind of give and take. They're given their time, but what are they taking away? So a lot of making sure that there is some kind of sustainable relationship in terms of like, well, okay, we don't have the luxury of giving you health insurance, but we might can pay for dental or vision or here's a massage voucher right, like here's a metro
0: card because you live in a place with public transit
1: exactly just understanding like making sure that people understand that it's a career whether people want to acknowledge it or not it is still a job you know making sure that to the best of your abilities are you making sure that the lives of your employees are the easiest that it can be while they're at work so I like one thing that recently it tickles me. What is it? The puck press. Mm -hmm. It's a fantastic tool.
0: Everyone get a puck press. There should be no tamping. We should be done with that.
1: (laughs) I had some pushback recently. I was training the staff and it's a beautiful location. There's food, there's cocktails, and the counters are really high. So I'm five nine. So I had an advantage of where I could still tamp properly but it hurt me. So I reported that. I was like, well, we can't change the counter. So the next best thing is to make sure that your staff isn't leaving here every day, needing to go ice their wrist and do the whole procedure because everyone there was not as tall as me. Taking into account things like that, I consult with build outs and making sure that they are disability friendly and or inclusive in terms of like body types. A lot, there's so much to coffee that I think gets overlooked. A lot, that's a lot of what I've been doing lately, just making sure that it's a space where everyone can feel included and like they have a chance.
0: Yeah, I think when you say coffee consultants, I think it's easy to be like, oh, you. Do you like menu development or, and you probably do some of that stuff too, but that feels not obvious. That's not the right word for it, but like, that's a given like, okay, we're going to talk about a menu. Like you can go to most coffee shops. You can see what a menu is. You can figure it out. But I think there's a lot of inherent stuff that we don't talk about enough. Like you were saying, making sure bars are size inclusive. Like I've worked at so many coffee shops where it felt like the distance between our two counters, like our back counter versus the front counter was maybe two feet.
1: Which mm-hmm. is not a lot,
0: or like making sure that the bar is actually low enough so that you can tamp comfortably, or just get a puck press. Just do it. I'm going to say that again. Puck <laughs> press, please sponsor me. I'll sing your praises. But like the idea, you 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 mentioned that like you met some resistance there, and I have to imagine there's some of this level of like, well, this is how it's supposed to be done, or like this is the art of it, and it's like, but why are we holding on to that?
1: Right. If the model doesn't work. Why keep it?
0: Yeah, we can throw it away. We have the power to.
1: I also feel like if there ever was an industry to be as unique and creative in terms of making sure people are taken care of, we work in an industry that allows the luxury to change things. There is no one set way to do coffee. There is no one set way to make a signature drink. There is no one set way to be a barista. So why are we trying to follow this one very specific, very white, very money centric model of how to do it effectively and efficiently and inclusive and making it holistic. Like, Why is there only one model that seems to be the one that everyone wants to use? I mean, I can
0: guess an answer. (laughs) It's because the same people are getting the advantages money-wise to open the same coffee shops.
1: We're not allowing for diversity in it, so then you'll never see it. And, and that goes beyond race that goes beyond sex that goes beyond identity it goes towards well if everything is getting to a point where it's venture capital capitalist backed then that leaves no room anymore for actual organic communities to like thrive in terms of like starting a business in this in this space because it doesn't have to just be a coffee shop it could be a bakery that has a really beautiful coffee program and we're not leaving room for that anymore really
0: and i think that's like an issue of sustainability In our industry, too, that if everything narrows into this like idea of sameness and we're starting to see that direction of sameness where coffee shops are really starting to look the same everywhere. And I think it really limits us in terms of sustainability because coffee can look so diverse, so different, so exciting. It limits our creativity. And it also, I think, posits the wrong enemies. So, with that idea in mind, too, robot baristas. So, on my newsletter, I talked a little bit about robot baristas and the idea of technology and coffee. And I think the misunderstanding about robots and coffee is that I think it's bad actors who are maybe looking to robots as Mm -hmm. replacements for labor. And again, that goes to the idea of like the sameness of coffee, everybody pivoting to this like one singular point. But you had a reel on your instagram um but i saw it and you talked about like hot take i actually think robot baristas could be really beneficial and i was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit
1: absolutely so it was i still stand firm in that i think it's this one really delicate coin i think that so what happened this is what happened yeah tell me what happened (laughs) I was in the airport and I was in, I guess I won't say which one because then that will directly pinpoint which who it is. But in the airport, I saw and I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I'm still in this very like, screw technology in terms of replacement in coffee, in terms of jobs. But I see this thing and I was like, whatever, I'm going to ignore it and I'm going to go find an actual coffee shop with baristas. I go get a coffee. It was terrible. I leave the airport. I'm in town. I'm doing all these coffee things. I'm leaving, go back to the airport. I'm in the same, I think it's the the terminal. It's so late at night. I'm exhausted. My flight isn't for another like hour and a half. I hadn't really eaten because it's late. So I'm like, I'm a little hungry, but I'm not going to eat food because nothing's open. And I was just sitting there and then I was like, dang. I guess I could go try this robot coffee and like I walk up to it. There's people there and we're t- they're like, you're going to, tr- you're going to do it. And I'm like, I don't know. Like something to me was just like, Oh, I'm like betraying my all of the things I've said so harshly against this service of a robot. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it. And it really was partially because I needed something to wake me up. I trusted some of the brands that were on the advertisement because personal connections but also like professional opinions I trust them and I got a matcha I got a matcha with oat milk and some vanilla and it was really quick the little thing waves at you it's cute I can't even lie it's it's adorable but then I had this like aha moment where I was like I understand I get it and I think that Introducing robots in coffee is a very unique beast in itself because obviously it can take jobs if done improperly. In terms of these environments where it is a struggle to get specialty coffee minded baristas, where there's a want to perfect their craft in an airport, in a hospital, having access to robotic coffee and those spaces only. I see it as a benefit. You're now giving access to this, what could be a very different demographic of people. You're giving them specialty coffee. There is now an introduction to, oh, I just had this cappuccino with oat milk and I'd never had one before. Now there's probably an intrigue and something that has been lit where once you leave the airport, they might try to go find a specialty coffee shop and have an interaction with baristas. It can be used in a way that benefits this industry versus you know sucking the life right out of it.
0: Right. I agree. I think you're totally right. It introduces specialty coffee in places where we might have trouble getting access, or we might not be able to like reach customers in a way that we really want to. I don't right. think you have a robot barista make you a latte at the airport and think, I only want robots to make me coffee. And I think you're absolutely spot on the way that we've internalized the idea of robot baristas is that they're going to take our jobs. And again, I do think that that is a legitimate fear. I think that there are absolutely bad actors who see that as a replacement for labor and they don't really understand robots as like a tool for the industry at large. So while I think that's like a warranted fear, I think it's also limiting our ability to think globally about how do we Make our industry more accessible. This is one way to do it. Like it's not the only way, but it's one kind of interesting one.
1: Absolutely, I do think that. Like, also coming from a background where, I mean, as a black woman, like in the South, there is not a lot. Like, just a black person in coffee, that's a very unique experience. There, there isn't a lot of access. So I had to go find my own education. I had to go find my own courses. Like, I just took the Q course and I just found out what the Q course was this year. And I've been in coffee for almost 10 years.
0: What's the Q course for people who don't know?
1: The Q course is essentially in the specialty coffee realm, there are a handful of people who essentially grade coffee. Is it specialty quality? Not just is it a good coffee based on my own pre- personal preference. Is this a good coffee based on the standard that we have set for the industry? There are people who actually will, who grade your coffee they grade it green they grade it roast it um you know dictate whether or not this is just consumable coffee or is this actually specialty is it very good is it good or is it excellent
0: basically it's like a calibration like everybody who passes the q grader course is like they are calibrated on this scale of how we evaluate coffee like from zero to 100
1: yes um so like 10 years in this industry and like not just me, but we as people of color, we as quote unquote othered, there is still a, a need for access. So if we are still needing access, I think about the consumers. There is a lack of education, there is a lack of access that's approachable. I think of my mom, who is this really like, she's kind of to herself, but she is a very strong black woman. She doesn't feel comfortable always going to specialty coffee shops, but you put a robot in a hospital that she might be doing something at. She'll go to that. That's a
0: good point. I didn't think of it that way, but like the idea that like a barista might be intimidating for someone who maybe doesn't understand or have like a lot of familiarity with like the specialty coffee industry would be like a good way for that person to engage with that without the pressure of like I have to talk to a person who might maybe feel stupid or who might be like, "Oh, you don't know what a macchiato is." Like
1: it also goes down to like We talk about aesthetics so much in coffee and, like, is it coffee or is it aesthetic at this point? But I think of that as well. Certain shops take the baristas out of it. This does not invite me as a black woman into this space. This does not invite the black community that is a block away into this space. It's not welcoming for us. So, I mean, and even beyond robots, you put self serve coffee machines in a quality one in a gas station for people who may not speak the same language as you who may not understand having those different avenues to get quality coffee is something very necessary
0: I'm going to do some quick questions because we didn't talk too much about travel what's your favorite city you've traveled to get coffee
1: oh my god (laughs) that is so hard I feel like I'm one of the biggest things in terms of travel for me because coffee has now apparently become my entire life I travel for coffee, so.
0: I'm looking through your Instagram. I'm like, and I see Copenhagen. <laughs> I see Paris. I see Louisville. <laughs> I see Miami. I see, I only see that one picture from all day, so I assume you went to Miami. I see so many different different cities, and, and I, I imagine it has to be hard to choose, but
1: yeah. I will say I can choose different cities for different things. Okay, give me like three for three reasons. I would say London for the visuals. And the intensity of the community, they are tight knit and they have a true sense of community there. I'd like obviously Charlotte, because this is where I am and this is where I this is where I fostered most of my career. So I feel like I hate to use the term family and coffee, but here it is very familiar, familial for me specifically. Like I consider the coffee community here as part of my family. Like if something happens, someone gets sick, I'm going to treat them as if they're my cousin. I loved Miami coffee scene. There is sense of home that they create there where you are invited in and you are just like wrapped in a hug and just treat it with all the best food and some fantastic Cubanos.
0: You're going to win talking about Miami here because I'm from Miami. So
1: <laughs> I mean, I loved it. All day is fantastic. But even if you get outside of Miami, there's Boca Raton, there's uh I mean, there's so much, that you think that Miami's just this one space, but it's really just like I don't know what to call it just the that whole area of coffee is just fantastic. Everyone was so nice and like just warm. I think when you have nice weather and an ocean with warm water, yeah,
0: it's not hard, it's not hard to be nice sometimes
1: exactly. <laughs> so so we're gonna say, are we saying London, Charlotte, Miami, or I feel like every community that I've visited has a very unique something that makes me want to go back.
0: Is there anything you want people to know about you listening to this episode that we didn't cover?
1: I guess it's something that we all already know. I guess the one thing I always try to like finish a conversation off on especially if I'm talking to coffee people and there's a want to know something new. It's not a matter of new. Nothing in coffee is new. I think that If we remember that and we just remember to focus on making sure that you are doing right by yourself, because I think we forget about that in this age of where it's taking care of everyone else. Yes, take care of everyone else, but make sure you're taking care of you. Prioritize yourself. Also, there is a career in coffee. I feel like you don't have to spend all this ridiculous money to go to these different expos and coffee festivals. And it is a luxury. And it is; it can be beneficial, but it's not a requirement in terms of creating a sustainable career. I think if you find out what you're good at, um, use that to your advantage. This is a very niche market already, so why not just be niche within it?
0: Yeah, I always think specificity is ignored. Like, be more specific. Get more yeah. into it.
1: If you want to be a social media manager, do it. If you want to run around the globe and do coffee content, start in your community. and like. I think what people also forget is this is a a very unique community where a lot of us, I won't say all of us, but a lot of us like to share. We like for this to be a very community-focused industry, and we're trying our best to make sure that's the case. So reach out. If you have questions about how to do something, reach out. Now, don't reach out too much because people do this for money. Um, so be willing to offer to pay because people have to pay bills. But there are so many lanes of making sure that you have access to do what you want to do on this. If you are curious about competition, reach out to people who won or even just competed. If you want to figure out how to be a roaster, reach out to roasters and see if you can just shadow. I feel like we get so scared of asking a question. Like the worst thing anyone can tell you is no.
0: I think that's a really good note to end on. So LaCrista, thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you for having me. That
0: was LaCrista McArthur. You can find more about what she's doing, where she's going, where she ends up at her Instagram account at Lacrista underscore M. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you in two weeks. Uh
1: Looking for a better day.
0: Bosperista is produced by me, Ashley Rodriguez. You can find a transcription of this episode on my newsletter, along with an accompanying article about this episode every Thursday at bosperista.substack.com. To support the show, you can visit www.patreon.com/bosperista. We have over 80 patrons supporting the show right now, which is incredible. And that helps keep the show alive. We pay guests through this fund, we pay for website hosting, and we make donations. Half of our patron donations are currently pledged to five different nonprofits, each at $50 a month. Asada's Daughters, the Loveland Foundation, the Native American Rights Fund, the Grocery Run Club, and the Chicago Community Bond Fund. Again, if you want to support Boss Barista, consider making a monthly donation at www.patreon.com bossbarista Another amazing way to support the show is to share this episode with just one person, a friend, someone who you think would learn something from this episode, anybody. Sharing on social media is also a huge help, along with giving us a five-star review on Apple iTunes. As a small production, these things matter a lot. So if you can take a little time, share out some of your favorite quotes from this episode, and tag us. That would be amazing. We're at Boss Barista Podcast on Instagram and Boss underscore Barista on Twitter. You can also send me an email at bossbaristapodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.